I am Emily Lyons. In 2011, without a high school degree and with no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. Since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be utterly lifted and shifted by these people too. All inspiring people are inspired people, so get ready to be inspired. Today, I am chatting with Rain Dove. Rain is a renowned activist and inspirational figure, a professional model and actor best known for their work in subversive fashion as a gender non-conforming model posing alternatively as male and female in photo shoots, productions, and runway shows. Rain has gone viral multiple times and been featured in Vogue, Cosmopolitan, Elle, BuzzFeed, CNN, and many other media outlets. Rain has become a public figure, and behind it all is a brilliant human being. This interview is one of my favorites, and I'm very excited to share it. Rain, it's so nice to chat with you today. It's nice to chat with you, too. Thanks for having me. I came across one of your posts that had went viral where you were responding to this awful message that you had gotten with such positivity and education, and it just blew me away, as it obviously did many people since it was being shared so many times. I was surprised it actually circulated so well, especially since uh, if it was the one about the binder, um, you know, such a niche topic, I was surprised so many people were interested in it. So who is Rain? Rain is a person who is chatting on a podcast right now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm a person who loves to travel. I'm a person who loves making tea. In fact, I have three cups of tea in front of me right this very (laughs) second. And I'm a person who's made a lot of mistakes in my life. And so I've dedicated my life to the people who oftentimes lash out because they feel like there's no point in trying to make reparations. And I think that's where we get a lot of people, a lot of people who have given up trying to meet in the middle, a lot of people who have given up trying to compromise or listen, they feel like there's no point. They have to give all or nothing. So they choose nothing. And I once was that person. So I am a person who's just trying to listen a lot these days. And educate. And educate, educate where I can, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So you identify as a female or you don't identify as a gender? For me, I don't personally use a gender identity. I believe that like I am I and that's it. And I don't really like affiliating myself with the history of a sound that's as politically charged and divisive as uh, he or him or she and her male and female. Mm -hmm. However, if somebody else wants to use those terms for me, I don't prevent them from doing so. I believe that if that's how people see me, then that's that, you know, but if they want to show respect for me, they would just see me as me. But if they don't want to show me respect, I mean, you know, label away. What do you ask people to refer to you as? I say use whatever feels comfortable. For you, you know, Um, if you want to try to use neutral uh, terminology and pronouns, that's 
appreciate and wonderful. But otherwise, use what you're feeling in the moment what feels authentic to you. And everybody in my life uses something different. Some people say he, some people call me she, some people call me it. I have a very good friend who calls me it in the fashion <laughs> industry. And some people call me they, them. And you know, for me, this works. I like it because when people are comfortable with me, they're often more likely to listen to me and therefore I can get most of my work done. It shouldn't always be about their comfort. But yeah. for me, that's how I like it. For other people who really, those pronouns really mean a lot to them. You know, I think we should always try to show respect by using the language that other people ask us to use for them, Absolutely. if we can. How do you stay so calm, level-headed? You know, don't... You um, <laughs> well, you know, stay Sorry. calm, huh? And these days. If I was getting these these type of messages, I don't think I'd be able to respond as you know as well spoken and kind as you do. I mean, with, there's so many uneducated, just mean people that are lashing out. How do you not do yeah. it personally? Well, I think one of the first things that you have to do whenever anyone reaches out to you is first of all, like you have to be honest with yourself about how you feel about that person's engagement. And if you feel unsafe, rather than engage, you know, it's totally fine to block or mute or delete that person from your life. The way that I engage with people comes from a really incredible place of privilege that number one, oftentimes I'm engaging with these, well, I engage with these people in person as well as a form of my work. Online, I have the privilege of engaging with them from a distance and through a relative amount of anonymity, you know. I also try to find the gratitude. Finding the gratitude is really important because you have to understand that these people, while they say they don't care, they obviously care enough that they're giving you time in their life that they're never going to get back. And one day they're going to be on their deathbed and they're going to want that 30 seconds they took, you know, typing that message to you to say something sweet to someone that they love and they won't have it because they gave it to you. And you have to find gratitude in the fact that you're getting back time, that that you're getting time from them that they'll never get back. I think there's something really beautiful about that. And number three, I remain calm because for me, I, I focus on the end goal. I realize that the reason why people are reaching out to me is because I'm incredibly visible. And the reason I'm visible is because people have given me the opportunity to have a platform to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. And so my actions have to respect that. And they have to be not just with my own self-serving interest in mind, but they do have to consider the needs and the feelings of the people that have elevated my platform. So, I mean, while it can feel really good to just be like, fuck off, go die, (laughs) you know, (laughs) at the end of the day, you have to think about what do you really want? Do you really want equality? Do you Mm. truly, truly want peace? And if you do want equality, that means that can you truly look this person in the eye and say, I want to sit down and share a meal with you. I want a world in which we are both equally protected. Can you extend the same amount of respect for them as you have for yourself? So I try to operate under that reflection of like, what does society need right now? And what have they told me that they need? And then you just try to be a reflection of, of that need. And it's not always easy. I get angry all the time. It's really hard. I People reach out and just because I respond in a way that may seem very controlled inside, sometimes there's just a giant scream into the void. But the key is just acknowledge your feelings and then respond with the end goal in mind. And the end goal in mind is to let this person know that they are part of the plan. 
that Mm -hmm. ultimately, unless essentially they're murdered or eradicated, (laughs) you know, they need to get on board and that there is a space for them to do that. Wow. So where did you grow up? Did you grow up in New York? I grew up in Vermont, which was a wonderful experience. I grew up, it was a, it was a terrible experience, but it was a really wonderful one at the same time. It was kind of a mix. It was, it was wonderful in the sense that I grew up on a farm. I had a really beautiful farm childhood existence, but I also grew up in a very puritanical and small town, which was not very diverse or open uh. to diversity as being a part of its environment. So it was a little oppressive in that way. Psychologically oppressive, but physically very free if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I uh, then went from Vermont to Colorado and did wildfire prevention work out there. And then I went to co- from Colorado to California. And then I went to New York. And how did you get started in modeling? Well, I got started in modeling after I lost a bet to another model during a football <laughs> game. And they were like, you should model. And I was like, no, models are pretentious people who don't eat. I am not going to model. Then uh, I lost this bet and they sent me to a casting call of their choice. And um, I accidentally got cast as a male. And then I went to the show and it was like this small charity show in San Francisco. But it was a, um, they handed me a pair of underwear and they're like, okay, just put these on. And, and then uh, we're going to start the show in about two hours. So just get that on and get into makeup. And then I, I, I was like, okay, but where do I get my outfit? And they're like, that is the outfit. And I realized I was in like a men's charity underwear show you know like the you know like the kind where like people come out with their chiseled bodies and then yeah. you know people donate money or whatever as they're going down the runway and yeah I didn't know what to say to them it was it didn't seem like a really big deal to me fashion always seemed very queer and I also thought it was a really fun way to say fuck you to my friend so I, I did the show <laughs> and I basically just burst out of the dressing room at the last minute and walked down the runway with you know no bra on and I, or anything breasts wow. were just like swinging side to side and I thought that would be it, the one time I ever modeled, you know? But it turns out that, so I was bringing cookies into my friend, and I walked in just to talk about my press. Um, <laughs> but then it turns out, of course, that was just the beginning because it was a really shocking sight for quite a few people. And I didn't realize how conservative the fashion industry was at the time. But uh, now it's, now that's the thing that everybody wants, unique. Yeah. It wasn't always that way though. You know, it was used to be very conservative. When I first started, a lot of people think that like fashion like needs to catch up with the times, but the thing is, and it does, I absolutely think it does. I want to remind people that it was just five or six years ago that I was one of the first models in the world to ever be on both the men's and women's board. Wow. At the same time, it was such a big deal. And they were like, it's already a big deal that you're on the men's and the women's board. And they were like, you need to not be so political. Don't post about being queer. Um, If you're posting photos of people of color, just make sure that they're people of status. Like, you know, they're talking about your worth, your general visual worth. And that was just like five or six years ago, you know? And then now it's like, please tell us about your story. And are you you diverse enough? And how many boxes (laughs) can you check? And it's amazing. The new generation really turned that around. Uh, The way social media turned that around a lot, marketing. Mm-hmm. And I love how you've, you've taken, yeah, your uniqueness and turned it into your strength and what separates you. Because, you know, we all have these quirks that make us, you know, who we are, but a lot of us choose to hide them or find shame in them, but you can capitalize on them. And why wouldn't you? You know, we all have, Absolutely. A, we all have a story worth telling. And I actually, I own um, 
an agency. I started it 10 years ago. It's called Femme Fatale Media. So we have about 10,000 staff that work for us across North America. We do a lot of events, mm. like trade show type thing where you see the brand ambassadors, things like that. But I know back 10 years ago when I started, it was all requests for blonde, tall, skinny girls. That was all that they yeah. want. And now it's completely shifted where, you know, they want, you know, men and women, equal amounts, girl next door, approachable looking people or unique or ethnic, you know, and it's, it's crazy to see such a huge shift, but amazing for sure. It is amazing. And right now it's beautiful and it's also messy, right? It's confusing because we want people to be diverse, but we also don't want them to be diverse for the sake of diversity. However, should we encourage people to have a trope of being diverse for the sake of diversity because it's better that they're diverse than not diverse? And mm-hmm. if we reward them for being diverse, then maybe they'll shift things. Or do we say, fuck you to the brands who weren't diverse until it was mm-hmm. cool and then only invest in the brands who are being diverse from the beginning and not for the sake of diversity, but because mm-hmm. it was right. It's, we're in a really interesting time where every single element of our lives has some kind of sociopolitic to it because mm-hmm. every element of our lives is documented online and scrutinized by our peers and by the world. So something as simple as what eyeliner you're wearing or what food you're eating or what jacket you're, you have or you know what coffee shop you're shopping at, all these little things are being, are being highly scrutinized. And so we're just in a really interesting time where we're starting to really shape and change in an exponentially radical way. The way the, the, how corporations who have existed for decades are functioning and many of them are collapsing. And you see like modeling agencies collapsing, big uh, mm-hmm. uh, fashion brands are collapsing, even like uh, really famous uh, television channels and things like that are collapsing because they just can't keep up with the change. They don't know how to shift. How it's do you- hard. It's a, it's a scary thing. Like you, you are very much in the public eye. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with that? I mean, you live your life so publicly. I know even when I was going through and researching you, it was coming up about your relationships and so many personal details. And it's like, (laughs) wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I always like, you know, when you're thinking, you're growing up, you you kind of think about like, what is it that you want to do? And my family is very private. They all live, my, my, one of my parents lives off the grid in the middle of the forest on solar energy, but pretty much has no electricity and lights her house with, you know, gas lamps and things like that. And my other parent lives in a home they built themselves and also in the middle of nowhere in upstate New York. They're very private people, but I tend to, um, I don't know, like when it comes to like publicity, I never really wanted to be that kind of famous. I I was kind of, um, I'm more of the kind of person I'd love to be known for. I'd rather be known for my work than my life, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, I'm not really worried about being wealthy. I would like to be stable. That's always a wonderful thing. But I think I'm more concerned about being known for my work than my life. That's why like on my social media, I don't post a lot about my private life. I don't do a lot of vanity posts. I post maybe two or three times a month. And I think really carefully about what's put out there because the platform is really big. And at the same time, I was dating someone who their lifestyle was definitely more, they wanted people to know about their life as well as 
Very <laughs> much so, yeah. And it was, that was a hard balance, you know. I went through, I went through like, um, I went through a, about a year and a half or two years of tabloids, and that was, I've never experienced them before. You have to take them with a grain of salt, and you also have to, um, one of the good things you learn about being in a tabloid, when you're in a tabloid, is like, you have to let go of a lot of your ego and a lot of your pride, and you have to do a trust fall into your own knowledge about your work and say, it, this work, it speaks for itself, it's good enough. And you have to learn really quickly that like, you're not here to be loved by everybody. You're here to do good work and to find love in general. And uh, it's not an easy thing to learn. I mean, tabloids are brutal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, they're awful. And, and they don't care. They just want that headline that's going to get the clicks and the, the views. Yeah, when you're in a relationship with somebody that sort of thrives in that environment, it would be, you know, especially the controversial side of things. Um, it would definitely. I know. <laughs> but that's somebody's living. I get so confused about that because it, you know it's, that's somebody's living. Somebody will not get a paycheck. Somebody will lose their job if they can't find something clickworthy, mm-hmm. and it's hard because I want to give them the opportunity to expand their career. But another part of me wants to be like, fuck tabloids. But then another part of me is also like, sometimes tabloids have good point. Depends on, you know, what they're, every once in a while they have a gold nugget, you know. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's really humbling. And it's, I'm still finding a way to navigate it, you know. I'd never gotten bad press before until I was in, introduced to the tabloid world. And you have to get used to the fact that you're going to walk out of a out of a, you know, a restaurant or something and they're going to see you wearing an outfit and then they're going to judge you right then and there. Do you look good or do you look a wreck? (laughs) You have to be okay with their judgment. You just have to trust fall into them and say, you know, whatever you think about me, it doesn't matter. It's not easy to do. No, I I don't think that I could do it. But I, I asked for this. I asked. I didn't ask to be this kind of like exposed. But mm-hmm. I'm not exactly a victim, you know. It's like one of those things where it's like it sucks, and I, I'd I'd be lying if I said it didn't suck. But at the same time, I I would be lying if I didn't say I wasn't grateful for every opportunity I have to be able to talk to the community about the issues I talk about. And if tabloids are a way to help build that platform and voice, then um, I got I'm here to accept it. And no one should have to accept abuse, of course, no. especially social abuse, like you get in tabloids. And at the same time, I don't really think that my problems are having to deal with some negative headlines and some body shaming and tabloids. My life is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Were you always this confident? No. No? <laughs> I've always been confident in who I am, and I've always been determined to have freedom at any cost. And that's where a lot of my work comes from, is the fact that I would take freedom at any cost. I wasn't always the best person, you know. I would literally do whatever I needed to in order to access uh, the world. And a lot of my insecurities led to a lot of my toxic behavior when I was younger. And so... What was your you toxic behavior? Well, you know, I think when you're in survival mentality, especially, you tend to lie or, you know, cheat on your partners or emotionally cheat, I think would be a good a good example. Mm-hmm. Or you're not very good at confronting people. So you end up in dynamics way longer than you should be because you're, you have an insecurity about if you leave them, will you ever find someone else? And can you actually handle yourself on your own? So I don't know if you've ever been in those kind of relationships oh, yeah. where you're like, oh, I should have left that months ago. Oh, yeah. You know, and these kind of toxic behaviors are not fair to anyone, you know. And I was 
wasn't very secure in myself. You know, I didn't always feel very confident in myself. I didn't always feel confident that I would get a job or that I would find love or security. So I wasn't always the best to the people around me. It took a lot of hitting rock bottom, like multiple times. <laughs> you know, here's a brick wall. Here's a yeah. rock bottom. Uh, before my stars in alignment, you know. <laughs> At what point, like, did you always know that you didn't really identify with either gender? The thing is, is I've never, I didn't, growing up, I didn't have the language that I would have liked to have mm-hmm. had or a way to articulate my feeling about myself that I have now. So I always just committed to the thing that made the most sense. And I went through a lot of evolutions, which is really humbling because um, especially if you're a part of a marginalized community, like the queer community, you, you're supposed to be very loyal to a label. And it could be really yeah. scary if you're like, I'm going to change my label. Like you're not <laughs> allowed to really do that, you know? Um, but I went from being like, uh, I was like, okay, I'm a girl. I'm an ugly girl. Then I went to being like, I'm a bisexual girl. Then I went to being like a butch dyke. And then I went to being queer, non-binary. And then after I sat down and I, I had a really uh, wonderful experience out and uh, I was in Mexico at the time and I just had this really deep conversation with this person. It just re- really struck me that need to go beyond language. Like we, I think right now we're in a time where one of the most dangerous things that we're doing as a species is pretending as if we've invented everything that could already be and operating as if the only thing that we can do is improve what already exists rather than imagining something new. We act as if the only forms of government that exist or can exist already does exist, that the only forms of currency that can exist already does exist, that the only borders that are there are the only ones that can exist, that the only language we can really transform is the, are the ones that exist rather than inventing a new language, thinking of new ways to compensate people on multiple levels, thinking of new ways to govern the people, thinking of new ways to structure borders. And so me just letting go of the labels and that, and that language and just saying, I am I, as I'm an experience, I'm an individual entity. It was just a way of like shaking free of thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of years of history that I was being forced to carry around, you know, Mm -hmm. by being affiliated with the sound and just being like, I never existed. I never will exist. I'm only now and now and now and now. And what I am is everything that I love, everything that I dislike, everything that I do, my actions and experiences are what define me, not um, my sex expectations, not my genitalia, not the roles that one may or may not be able to live up to, you know? I love that. It's so true. It, we, we are stuck in this, this thought process that, yeah, we can't change what already exists, that that's what it is, and, and, and that's that. You said it so beautifully. And maybe we can't change what already exists. You know, that's the thing. It's like people are right to be exhausted and be like, well, why even try? Why even vote? We can't change what already exists. And I'm like, maybe we can't change what already exists. So fuck what already exists. Why don't we do something new? Mm-hmm. We have to do something new. How do you think we got here? Someone did something new and that's how we have this old thing that needs to change, mm-hmm. you know? And we have to change it again. And it's going to take some work and it's not going to be immediately accessible or maybe happen overnight. But if we like plant seeds for change and we very carefully cultivate them, we can grow something that is beautiful and lasting and, and better than anything that's been before, rather than deconstructing something that maybe has always been and always will be toxic. You need to get into politics. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, somebody said, Ray, you should get into politics. And you know what, you know what holds me back from politics? A couple of things. Number one, rules. I hate them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, I would get in so much trouble within the first day, you know? And then the second <laughs> thing is if I were any good at politics, then I'd end up having to have some kind of security of some kind, you know? And I wouldn't like that. You know, I like to be able to just walk around my house in my underwear and not have to worry about if, you know, Amazon knocks on the door running down and getting my package and said underwear and being like, thank you. And then like going back upstairs. <laughs> I want to be able to go to like, that local coffee shop by myself one day being really scuzzy with like one contact in and write <laughs> for a couple of hours and not have to worry about is someone going to poison my muffin? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Are you a writer? Um, I'm working on a book right now. It's my first book and I'm very excited uh -huh. about it. Oh, actually. Wow, congratulations. Yeah. What's it about? Thank you. I just signed with a literary agent. It's called How to Handle Haters. And it's basically like a book about how to handle the different forms of hate that come into our life. The three kinds, you know, people that hate you, being born into a hateful systemic environment like systemic sexism. Mm -hmm. And then also you hate you and how to handle yourself and looking and peeling back the layers of all these things and just kind of providing tools and tactics for um, how to navigate a world which is constantly trying to get us to self-govern through guilt, through fear, mm -hmm. through capitalism. You know, how do we keep pushing on and, and, and how do we contribute positively while also still feeling free to go outside of the lines? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it depends. I mean, for instance, like if you're talking about like you hate you, you know, um, mm -hmm. let's talk about that subject for a second. One of the things I talk about is, um, you know, first of all, if we're talking about people hate you, let's go start with people hate you. So if people hate you, now it's really important to keep in mind that there are 7.8 billion people on the planet, 7.8 billion people on the planet. There's so many people. Mm -hmm. In those odds, there's guaranteed one 7.8 billion chance that you're going to be eating a Dorito one day on like a bench in a park. And one day this person's just going to walk by you they're going to see you eating that Dorito and they're going to be like, people like you are why we need a wall. The way you eat that Dorito absolutely disgusts me. Mm -hmm. I can't even, I'm going to dedicate my life to two things, working at 7-Eleven and taking you the fuck down. You know what I mean? <laughs> there's just going to, there's a one in 7.8 billion chance that that person is going to come into your life and they're going to hate you for nothing else other than the fact that you that you're eating the Dorito the particular way that you're eating it. Mm -hmm. But then there's also one in 7.8 billion chance that, a person is going to be walking in the park and they're going to see you eating that Dorito and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. The way you eat that Dorito is like a religious experience. I'm here for it every day. I love you. Anything that you need, I, I'm here. I, I'm going to dedicate my life to two things, working at 7-Eleven and worshiping the way you eat those Doritos. <laughs> There's, I think people oftentimes, the reason why we're not able to overcome people hating us is because we desperately want them to know that we're worthy of being loved because we care. And that is something that's worth celebrating. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I think we oftentimes lose sight of that because we just, it's, it's not that we're worthy of being hated. It's that when we're affected by somebody saying, I hate you, or I don't like you, we, it's us saying, I am worthy of being cared about because I care about you. I care about what you think. I care. I have feelings. I want to be worthy of you because I have a lot of love to give, you know? Mm -hmm. And when it comes to you hate you, 
Um, there's so many tools. We oftentimes are our own worst enemy. There's no one that can get in our heads more than we can. I mean, we just know exactly what buttons to push that'll keep us in bed watching South Park for hours at a time and not doing the work that we desperately need to do in order to get our rent paid. <laughs> we're, mm. we're terrible creatures and we're, we're very cruel to ourselves. And one of the things that I tell people is if you don't feel like you're worth giving to, it's time to give to somebody else. Because when we give back to other people, we build worth of get it, being given back to as well. When you feel like you, you can't tell your friends you know, how you're feeling, you need to understand that you're not just like being polite you know, by not sharing how you actually feel. That's not a polite thing. You're actually robbing them of the chance to be the hero. You're robbing them of the chance to find power mm. and share wisdom and grace and find power. And when you're honest with your friends about your weak moments in life and you allow them to be there for you in whatever capacity that they can, you're not being a burden. You're being an example of why their life and their hardships have been worth living through because it gives them an opportunity to apply the pain that they've gone through into power. And in that way, you help them heal from their own past experiences. And when you take that away from them, what you're saying to them is, I don't trust you. I don't trust you, to be honest. I don't trust you to empower me. So I tell people, like, if you, can, if you have an exit buddy, be honest with them about anything, even if it's perpetual. Let other people put up their boundaries and say, you know what? Okay, that's enough. We're done hearing about that person on the subway, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Let other people put up their boundaries. But otherwise, like, be honest, let them be empowered. And then they'll come back to you because they'll feel safe enough to share the same thing with you, the same kind of space. And through your own pain, you can also create power um, and tell people it's worth surviving through. Wow. I've never thought of it that way, but it's absolutely true. And then the third one, what was the third one? Uh, the third one. Oh yeah. Systemic, you know? systemic, like <laughs> being born into a world that hates you. One of the things I like to say is one of the things that the world tries to do is it constantly through language has us self-governing. And one of the ways that we self-govern is through apologizing. And we're oftentimes apologizing for things that we don't even need to apologize for. But we are taught from birth as like a societal thing. You need to say sorry, right? So oftentimes, especially in the UK, everybody's sorry about something. They're like, Same I within Canada. taco. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, they're open up a door for you. Sorry, like we like oftentimes we give somebody something like a gift, and then we start apologizing before we, they even open it. And this comes back down to trust too. Number one, um, we have to understand that like saying sorry isn't polite. It's saying sorry isn't a way of being like, oh, I'm actually sorry. What you're accusing somebody of in a subconscious way is of being a tyrant who is not able to handle you doing basic things. You know, when you say I'm sorry for like maybe opening up the door one second late or you say I'm sorry even for being late, you know, what you're saying is you don't trust that person to give you the benefit of the doubt. You don't trust that person to be kind in this situation. You don't trust that person to be, to be respectful of you as an individual. You're saying, oh my gosh, I am lesser than you, I'm inferior. So what I tell people to do is, is turn sorry into thank you. And this is a common thing you'll hear actually in other places. Other people, I'm not the first novel person to think of this, but I do talk about it, I think in my own way. But if you turn, for instance, if you're late someplace, instead of saying, I'm sorry, I'm late, you say, 
thank you for your patience. Because when you say, I'm sorry, I'm late, you're saying, hey, you're a tyrant and you're going to beat me down. So I'm going to apologize to you because you're going to demand an apology because you're angry. So you're accusing the person of being upset at, right out the door. But if you say, thank you for your patience, what you're saying is you are a magnanimous person and I have nothing to be afraid of. I did try to get here to the best of my abilities on time. And you're not putting yourself down in that space. You're saying that you are a worthy person of being in the room and therefore that person is making good choices about who they hang out with. And you're telling them that they are a patient person, a strong person and a better person. And it just creates a better environment all around. And it beats that systemic linguistic bullshit setup of just trying to self-govern and, and make yourself inferior to the world around you. That's one of the things that I've always told people that work in my office that, that I hire don't apologize. Never apologize. There's always a way to say things without apologizing because it does it it is so common in Canada and especially in emails and it's just we use it far too often. Not only it's that the but the power of an apology, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And not only that, but it uh, you can be liable <laughs> yeah. for things if you're apologizing. It's its fault. But yeah, no, it takes away its power. Yeah. One day when you actually want to say I'm sorry you want it to mean something. Mm -hmm. And when you can't, every time you say sorry, and it's for something small, you have to think of a different way to say sorry for something that's big. You know, it's just mm -hmm. a language thing. It's intention. It just, it's not that anyone's a bad person for saying sorry all the time. It just, it means that they just want to be loved and understood in that they don't want to hurt other people's feelings. And I think ultimately we just want people to know that we're doing our best. And it's hard because we're not always doing our best. Like, you know, sometimes I'm late to something because I decided to watch Trevor Noah and finish the episode <laughs> before reading on time. And then I'm like 10 minutes late to the meeting. I don't mean to be like a negative with negative intention. It's just, it, it just sometimes things like that happen. And then you don't want to tell your friend like, Oh, Hey, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm late, but I prioritize Trevor Noah over you. <laughs> you know, so you just you got to find a way to be able to navigate these situations in a loving uh, and appreciative way. Mm. I can't wait to read it. It sounds like it's going to be really good. I hope it is. You know, I, at the end of the day, I'm I'm writing it because it's how I feel about the world and how I process the world. And if it's useful to other people, that's a wonderful thing. And if it's not, then well, fuck, you know, I get to write a book. How cool that's is that? That's the perfect to way the to, little word to go about it. You know, that's the way I've, I've built all my businesses is, is I, I'm doing it because I love this, not because I want to profit or I want to, you know, mm. it's a labor of love and passion. And those are the ones that are always end up being the most successful and also leaving the, the good legacy as well. I love that. I, how many businesses have you made? What do you, uh, you don't have to answer that if you don't want to. <laughs> no, uh, five. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> that's my jam. 11 years ago, my sister gave me a book called Career Renegade, How to Make a Great Living Doing What You Love. And at the time I was in my early 20s and I was this wild party animal and had no idea what I wanted to do. And yeah, she gave me this book and I, I read, I think the first two chapters and it was about taking anything that you were passionate about and turning it into a profitable business. If you know, the passion wow. was there, you could find a way to monetize it. So at the time I loved doing promotional work. I, it was a side job that I picked up off Craigslist. Two nights a week, I was paid $80 cash to go party at a bar. Like I would have dinner there and drinks at the bar. And I thought it was the coolest job on the planet. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to start a promotional modeling agency and provide those staff, you know, and yeah. 
at the time, I, I talked to a few people. I talked to the, the venue owner that I worked for and he was like, no, don't do it. That's ridiculous. And there's, there's so many bigger agencies, like nobody's going to hire you. Um, but I did it anyways, of course. And yeah, it just, we started doing night, nightclubs in the, in the city and then it just expanded and, and grew. And then uh, as I grew, the trajectory of the company changed and my goals changed and I wanted to do corporate things. And then I wanted to utilize it to do other things like marketing and, and building brands that I believed in and then the PR side of it, which I really loved. And so we launched a PR division and yeah, wow. just taking a lot of different routes. And then I've used that to pivot and and launch other companies because I've really loved the building of the business. It's my favorite part is to take something that I love and, and take it and watch it and build it into fruition and see it come to life. And I just, yeah, I, I, I absolutely love it. And I, it's been 10 years now and I, I can't, I can't believe it's been 10 years, but I can't imagine doing anything else than, you know, being an entrepreneur and just the places that it's taken me and the freedom, the creative freedom that it gives you, you know? No longer do I work for anyone. And I mean, the first year obviously was really, really difficult, <laughs> rationing my food and living in a terrible basement apartment, but I didn't know any better at the time. And no, it was, it was all worth it. And I absolutely loved the journey. Yeah, I've tried to utilize, of course, building a brand as well to build the businesses. That's why I've, I've put myself out there and why I do all the social media and all this, the things, but yeah, I, I definitely need some of your tips to deal with it because I, luckily I don't get a lot of bad messages, but when I do, I do take them personally. <laughs> they are. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. One, it, oftentimes the ratio is one bad message to 20 good ones. Yeah. So in order to undo the impact of a bad message, you have 20 good messages mm-hmm. and it's, it's not easy, you know, because we, de- we deeply want to care, and so much of our human tapestry of emotion is tied into our legacy. You know, it's, it, it bothers us, but we have to understand that, like, we're in a different time for our species, a time that has never existed in which we are operating in a more cerebral way than ever before. And we're turning from a societally patriarchal society into a societally matriarchal society. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I say that in the sense of, like, by societal standards, we're operating less from a place of if you have a conviction or you say something, you need to show up physically and back up what you say with your body. And now we're, we are more online, right? So anything we say, we have to back up with our minds. And when you're online, you're not a, you're not flesh anymore. You're just thoughts and emotions in the, in the pure part of your brain that is just, just expression, you know, mm-hmm. and the consequences are different. So we're, our society is starting, instead of to weaponize our fists, we're starting to more weaponize emotions and weaponize experience and weaponize our thoughts versus, like I said, our actual, our actual flesh. It's, it's very, we're in a very interesting time. So people are just mm-hmm. saying things unfiltered. Mm-hmm. These people Which who just kind of get off and they, they would never, it's about power. They would power, never power, say power. it in person. But, uh, you know, I do a meetup in every city I go to, and I say, here I am at this, lo- at this location for free, completely accessible at this time to this time, and I've only ever once ever had somebody show up to be like, fuck you, and <gasps> you know? Everybody else is just like, 
they come, they'll just stare at me and then they, and then they go. People rarely will ever say to your face what they say online. Mm-hmm. Oh, hundred percent. I have a friend actually, uh, his name's Spencer and he is, he has cerebral palsy, but he is, has been a motivational speaker for 20 years despite oh being God. in a wheelchair, but he has worked with like Princess Diana, wow. like Michael Jackson, Prince, like Justin Timberlake. He is this amazing, amazing man, but he, yeah, he was, he was talking about that yesterday and just the judgment that people have and that they say that they would never he said people will come up and say like they'll have said something terrible and then ask for a photo with him (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) it's just this this bizarre time that we're in yeah we're still learning how to handle it the world has never operated like this before and it's created a new kind of freedom that has never happened which is unfettered feelings and we as a species don't train each other how to handle our feelings or process them in a more private way so we are just seeing a lot more explosive expression of feeling online because we just don't have the tools to know how to how to handle what we're going through and this is kind of the wild west time of words isn't it mhm i think your words has been one of your your secrets to success. You know, I think that's why so many people resonate with you because of the, the power that you you have with words. And I think that's why, would, would you agree that that's been how you've, one of the, the ways that successfully built this brand? I would say, yeah, maybe like language and words, they're absolutely my number one tool for de-escalation. It's very, 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 very carefully considering every single thing that comes out of my mouth, you know? And, you know, I haven't always, like I said, I haven't always been the best being. But when it comes to considering, like, that other end of the feeling, for sure, that is, that's an immensely important part of my existence right now. Why did thinking you, about language. Why did you want to build a personal brand? I didn't want to originally. It just kind of happened overnight. I had a BuzzFeed article go viral. And then the reason I stuck with it was... Uh, twofold. Number one, there are a lot of people reached out and they were like, this content, your words and this experience is important to me because at the time there weren't a lot of, I don't think there were really any, there was really um, anyone that was out and didn't have language around their identity in that way. So there was that just feeling like people are like, please keep doing this. Uh, I really look forward to this content. So I was like, okay, I'm this is amazing. I'm building a family that I didn't have, a community that I never had, and that was beautiful. And then the second part of it was just um, survival-based, honestly. I wish I could say it was something more re- romantic than that, but when it became possible for me to be able to sustain myself off from sharing my experiences, that's when I became more inclined to be like, okay, let's turn this platform into something, you know? I originally didn't really want to. I wasn't much for like the idea of being in the spotlight or being famous. I just... I really wanted to do work that mattered. And I think the most egotistical thing was that I just didn't want to be forgotten. I didn't want to live and not be remembered, but it wasn't really important to me to be remembered by hundreds of thousands of people. I just wanted one person to, you know, or a handful mm-hmm. of people to show up at my funeral. It would be, it would be nice. Uh, it just ended up being much bigger than that. And also I think there's another element too, of one other one. And this is, this one's in my book, which is, you know, I'll ask you this question. You know, if I, if you were to hear me on the phone right now, right, just like suddenly yell out in pain and fall to the floor and I'm just yelling for help, would you care? Yes. Can you guarantee that every other person 
in the world who got on this phone call and heard the same thing would care. No. That's because you are the most reliable source for good to prevail on this planet. You're the only person who's guaranteed to give a damn. And while you may or may not be able to do something about something, you are actively caring. And sometimes that in itself is a form of activism and you need to engage in that. And so when you take yourself away from the world, you're taking yourself away from other people. You're you're stealing the only source for good to prevail in their lives, for care to prevail in their lives from them. And it's a selfish act. So that's why you need to take care of yourself. What was the BuzzFeed article that had went viral? <laughs> it was called 12 Reasons Why Rain Dove is the Androgynous Model of Your Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's <was> embarrassing. <laughs> How did that come to um, be? Well, I was giving up on my modeling career at the time. I really honestly was like, oh, gosh, this thing isn't working out. And clearly this doesn't really play into my activism very well. So eh, whatever. And I decided to give it one last shot because something was gnawing at me that I had to do it. And I um, I went to go to a medical health facility um, to make money doing those medical tests, you know, with like, Oh they gosh. test like morphine or they'll test like blood tests, you know, and, and, and various, it's called Perexos, different kinds of drugs and stuff like that. And my friend April and I were like, okay, we are going to do this. We need money. We are desperate. And in order wow. to get the money to be able to afford to take the bus to go from New York City to Baltimore, I got a Craigslist job and I ended up bartending and I ended up serving this publicist who was a publicist of the chef of the bar at the time. And we just chatted and they were like, please, I'm drunk. Just chat with me. Tell me your story. And I did. And they were like, this is amazing. I'm going to get an article about that. And I was like, okay, whatever. And I sent her all the information and Mm -hmm. then she had me like meet up with a couple of people. And then a couple of days later, I took the bus and went down to Baltimore for this thing. And I never really, I didn't really think, I didn't know how big BuzzFeed was. I didn't really know what was going to happen, but I was in this like medical testing facility. I was there like for about a week to make a couple thousand. Cause I was like, if I make a couple thousand dollars, I can then do fashion week, right. And I'm going to do fashion week once perfect. Well, be well-fed, showered, groomed, and have like brand new clothing instead of like half-assing it like I've always done and I was there and like halfway through the medical testing thing like a few days in you're allowed to check your phone like midway through and I turned on my phone and I was so broke it only operates off of wi-fi by the way and it just went nuts there was just Gosh. like like my Instagram had gone from like a couple hundred followers to 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 10,000, 11,000, 12,000, 13,000, 14,000. Wow. And then um, I had a phone call from Ellen DeGeneres' producer. I had a phone call from the Oprah Network. I had a phone call, you know, all on my <laughs> Google voicemail. And, and I was just like, ah. And it turns out this BuzzFeed article had gone up and indeed it had gone viral and people wanted to like have me on their shows and, and things like that. But the problem was I was so broke. And if you left the medical testing facility early, you didn't get your payment. So oh I had gosh. to, I couldn't explain why I wasn't able to get to these interviews or anything that immediately I had to be like, oh yeah, okay, in a few days. <laughs> but I had to, for the next like three and a half days, I stayed at this like facility and you have to like lay for like 12 hours at a time while you're getting like morphine pumped into your vein or a placebo. You never know what you're going to get. And then you lay in supine position for, you know, uh, about 12 hours a day. And I, I just remember laying there surrounded by all these other people who are desperate enough to do this job, single parents, people who are recently out of prison, people who are really down on their luck. 
And I knew that the world had changed, that my life had changed, and that the moment that I left this place, nothing would ever be the same. But for those next three and a half days, I had to meditate on that and just sit and remind myself, this is where you're at right now. And then the bus ride was like a couple hours too, and I had no working phone. So I just Mm -hmm. sat on the bus with my friend, and we're just in silence. And I just remember being like, once I get home, once I get on Wi-Fi, this adventure begins. And it did. <laughs> and how long ago was that? Yeah, it was like five years ago. Wow. And then it's just kind of yeah. snowballed from there. It did. It was it was amazing. It was amazing how everything just changed. Literally it wasn't necessarily that the income had, the income definitely changed, but it was more that like suddenly people were like, uh, I want to work with you. Like, oh, uh, oh, you're queer. It's not a problem. Like, oh, you want to wear like uh, societally deemed menswear? Come on through. And when I first started modeling and, and suddenly had like a microphone shoved in my face and such, I didn't know how to use it very well. And I just constantly made mistakes. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't very educated about the queer community. And I constantly used the wrong terms. And I was using the wrong uh, language for myself. And I went through this really humbling journey for a couple of years of just making mistakes. And, and like I had said before, just running into walls, running into the like hitting rock bottom, bottom, wall, bottom, wall, slam door, slam door, slam door, glass window. <laughs> And now I'm finally at this point in my journey where the world has, I think, put me on an incredibly humbling path. And I'm really grateful. And, and, and it's just going to be a really exciting decade, taking everything that has occurred over the past you know, 30 years of my life and applying it to the rest of my life. Hmm. Well, you have so much to share and such a powerful voice and mission and just it's so important and I think that you are going to definitely be remembered and going to go really far so where can people find more information about you well you can giggle me I'm just kidding Um, (laughs) you can find me Instagram is my platform that I love right now and I I'm uh I'm also on Twitter and Facebook I use the handle rain dove model back in the Day, I tried to get Rain Dove, and it turns out a bot account has that, ah. and they have There's... never let go of it. And I know, I'm like, ah, they have no photos, no photos, <laughs> one follower. <laughs> Jerks. Now they're, now they're definitely not going to because there's going to be people going there, I'm sure. Well, it's too late now, you know. Brain Dove models in too many articles. I have, to, I have to stick to it now. No matter what I do, <laughs> I could become a conservationist, you know, for the rest of my life. And, you know, I still have to be Rain Dove model. But yeah, people can find me at Rain Dove model. And I do want to plug, I do have a sci-fi series coming out on January 16th. And it premieres online January 20th. So the 20th day of 2020, I have a brand new sci-fi series shot, edited, directed, produced, the whole jam. And I'm super stoked for it. Where can they watch that? They'll be able to watch it on my YouTube, Rain Dove Model. The series is called Queers Without Fears. And it's not a show I think that everyone will want to watch, but I think it's a show that everyone needs to watch. Mm. And it's a show that is set in the, you know, it's a post-apocalyptic show set in the future. And it's a show with an all-queer cast funded completely with queer money. And it has no rape. It has no murder. It has no drugs. It has no alcoholism. It has no tragedy in it. 
you know, hmm. like every story that you see is beautiful lens flares and deep, rich stories that are highly sexual and, and violent. And, yeah. um, and or like cartoonized, like where we, if we're not being like raped and murdered or going through some kind of drama, we're causing drama for other people and we're catty and over the top. And so this series is like, uh, it's got plot points, but it's unscripted. We do that so that every word that's spoken in it is the true and authentic feeling and opinion of the people who are acting in the series. And it's beautiful. I'm very excited for it. It's just something that we don't have yet. And it's on YouTube so that it's free and accessible to the public. I'm not going to make a single penny on it. I just want people to have something for themselves that's not created by a corporation with an agenda. Hmm. Wow. I'm going to definitely have to share it. Of course. Of course. I'll send you the preview tonight. We just really finished our trailer oh, tonight. And it's yeah, that'd be amazing. I'd love to see it. Very cool. It's like a mockumentary series. It's like Xena meets The Office meets The Mighty Bridge. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. You are so brilliant. Thank you. You are amazing. Five businesses. <laughs> I need to take your seminar. When are you going to have a business seminar that I can attend? Even an online one. I would oh, definitely yeah. love advice. I am a chaotic mess of doom and glory. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep you posted when I, if I, if I ever do. <laughs> Okay, I hope you do do. I, it would be a very useful tool for people. I think it's inspiring that you've been able to do that. And I love the fact that you pushed through a really difficult year in your life and you just focused on that goal. I think it's, you know, it's great. I'm incredibly um, excited about our a, friendship that gets well, to start from I'll, this point forward. A lot of difficult years, but yeah, push through. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we got to I have to come to Toronto. We need to have wine or whiskey. We need to sit down. We need to like, share and swap stories about this. I'm just like, yeah, I'm always inspired by people that they set out to do something and they sometimes they didn't even try to set out. It just happened. But once they got on the path, they just stuck to it and they didn't abandon ship when it got hard. And then they made something. And not only did they make something, they maintained it and they made more. They didn't just settle. It's such a, it's a skill I really wish I had, you know? I, guess I think we all have it, but it's, I wish I could develop it. Like you have you just ha have that passion. I think it's just, it's hard to let go. You know, yeah. I understand that. Will I continue? It's just, you know, and it's not, it's not a question of if you're going to get knocked down. It's just when you're going to get knocked down and how you're going to get back up. So mm -hmm. you just have to expect mm -hmm. it, you know, and just learn to, to roll with it. Yeah. Yeah. You're 100% right. <laughs> well, thank wow. you so much for chatting with me today, and um, I will talk to you soon. All right, sounds good.